Hi, and welcome to the 2020 Trustees Expert View podcast. Today, we're talking about cybersecurity. As you're probably aware, cybercrime is continuing to grow and pension schemes are attractive targets for cyber criminals. I'm going to be talking to three experts in the cybersecurity arena about what actions trustees should be taking to protect their schemes against cyber risk. So firstly, a big welcome to our three experts, Paul McGlone from Aon, David Varney from Burgess Salmon, and Ross Foley for PwC. Many thanks to you all for taking part. So should we start by looking at the regulatory background? Um, the regulators previously said that it sees cybersecurity as a pressing issue for schemes and has recently included new expectations for trustees in its draft single code of practice. Ross, do you think trustees are generally clear on what they need to do on cybersecurity and are many trustees tackling this issue? Thanks, Kate. I'm delighted to be with you today. I definitely see a variety of maturity levels um, across the industry. I, think, I would say on the whole, um, the vast majority of trustees know that they should be doing something to consider the risk, um, but quite often they don't really know where to start in terms of assessing it or, or managing it. Um, previous guidance um, by the pensions regulator, I think it's often left more questions than answers, and, and the new um, code of practice that you mentioned, I think will definitely help uh, to start trustees on that journey, but we see sponsoring organisations so vastly different levels of support um, that they provide to the to trustee groups. And um, so it can be a really daunting task for those that are left to go alone, so to speak. Thanks, Ross. Um, Paul, do you, do you have any further thoughts on, on this? I suppose very similar to Ross. I mean, the, the evidence shows that, that trustees do want to do something here, but they're not really clear what they need to do. You know, when, when we look at our research, it shows us that something like 75% of trustees have had some cyber training, but then only something like 20% have actually got a cyber policy. You know, there's lots of schemes out there who have got intentions of putting in place cyber policies or instant response plans or other things, but they haven't got around to it yet. So, so the good news is they know there's an issue. The not so good news is, is nobody's quite clear how to deal with it just yet. Okay, thanks, Paul. Um, David, anything further from you? Uh, no, thanks, Kate. I'd, I'd echo <laughs> Ross and Paul. Um, amongst our client base, we see that trustees are very aware of cyber as an issue, but as Paul Ross mentioned, often they don't know where to start or how to put an action plan in place or what to do when an incident occurs. Okay, thanks. Um, Paul, I know Aon have put together a framework to try and make it um, a bit easier for trustees to understand how to approach cybersecurity issues. Um, could you tell us a bit about this? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the framework we use, and, and I'm sure other organisations have something similar, is, is we call it Seek, Shield and Solve. And, and the idea behind that is that if you if you look at cyber risk holistically, that your first question is is around seek, which is understand the nature of the risks you're exposed to. The, the second thing is uh, what we call shield, which is mitigate those risks, you know, make sure you've got the right protections in place for the for the trustees and their providers. And then the third around solve is is deal with things if they if they go wrong. Um, and, it, and if you can cover those three steps, seek, shield and solve, wrap them up in an overall cyber policy. And then I guess importantly, overlay some checks at the end, you know, from time to time to make sure the process is happening properly. Some, something equivalent to maybe the, the own, risk, own risk assessment that's being talked about in the single code. Then we find that works well. And we find that having the framework means 
trustees can break it down into bite-sized pieces. It means the individual actions that they're taking fall into place as part of a, you know, an overall framework rather than being, you know, disconnected. And it helps trustees make sure that they're not missing something important, that there aren't uh, blind spots where, where they're not doing things. So, so we, yeah, we find it very helpful. No, that, that sounds really good, Paul. Yeah. Um, so one area where trustees seem to be taking action is putting in place incident response plans. Um, Ross, I know you've got a lot of experience in, in this area. Um, what advice are you giving to trustees on, on putting in place these types of plans? Um, so on incident response plans uh, for pension schemes, ultimately, you know, we would always advocate a, a relatively simple approach. Um, the incident response plan at the end of the day really needs to set out the decision-making process um, and it needs to log logistically um, set out who needs to be involved in the technical response. Um, and the speed of response is key in containing and dealing with cyber incidents. Effectively, we see you know, more often than not the organisations, not just in pension schemes, but across industries who respond poorly to cyber incidents are those that aren't well prepared and, and potentially take too long to make key decisions. So you need to be really clear on who's responsible for making key decisions and recognising that decision by committee can, can be slow and that can slow things down at, at crucial points. Um, and trustees also need to ensure that they've got the right mechanisms um, to ensure that they've got the right levels of support from their wider ecosystem. So that might be um, the sponsoring organisation, but also um, their administrators or their custodians will all have a key role to play in the delivery of services to their members um, and, and trustees or whoever's in the chair managing the incident needs to know that they've got um, a mechanism to bring those relevant third parties into play and get the, the right support at the right time. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Russ. Um, as, as well as considering cybersecurity for their own schemes, um, trustees obviously need to be vigilant in ensuring their suppliers have adequate systems in place. Uh, Ross, what, what type of questions should trustees be asking um, to their suppliers to get this reassurance? Yeah, so I mean, the first question I'd always uh, encourage trustees um, to be asking of their, uh, their supply, suppliers um, is what existing assurance reports that they have in place that they can provide them. Um, an independently audited controls report will always provide you know, a far greater level of assurance than really any uh, assurance work that they may conduct by the scheme themselves over that third party. So something like um, a SOC 2 report that supplements an existing financial statement report, like an IC AE3402 or a AAF, um, I would consider that to be kind of the gold standard in terms of security assurance, um, but also certifications like ISO 27001 um, and Cyber Essentials are also useful albeit provide slightly less assurance over the effectiveness of controls. Um, and then beyond that, schemes should be looking to establish a set of non-negotiables, if you like. So um, some basic security requirements that they can bake into their new and existing contracts that give um, a level of comfort that suppliers are taking the right steps, you know, a level of contractual coverage as well. But then more importantly, gives the scheme something to audit against going forward. So something to base mm -hmm. um, your assurance regime uh, on that you can hold, uh, hold, hold your suppliers to account to. Yeah, no, and, and I've seen um, supply, well, I've seen trustees send out sort of supplier questionnaires to um, on a, an annual basis for suppliers to sort of confirm and sort of highlight any areas which can then be explored further by the trustees. 
Um, on, on the contract side, um, David, um, do you have anything to, to add further to what Ross has said? Yeah, I think that there's um, any trustee needs to be aware of the key contractual requirements that they need to have an agreement with their supplier, where those suppliers are processing data on the trustee's behalf. There's a, essentially a checklist of key points that are mandated into those data processing contracts by GDPR. Um, but the key points from the side of the risk are that suppliers use um, appropriate technical and organisational measures to keep trustee data secure, and also that they agree to promptly notify the trustee as soon as they become aware of any data breaches or incidents. Okay, thanks, David. And, and Paul, on sort of the subject of supplier assurance generally, do you, do you have anything further on that? I, I guess just a couple of points. Um, it, asking questions is easy. Um, the, I think the challenge for trustees is understanding the answers um, and, and making sure you're comfortable with them. And also the, the need to be proportionate. If you take the same approach across all of your providers, then arguably you're, you're either being too detailed for your low risk providers or not detailed enough for your high risk providers. So I, I think trustees you know, need to think about how they divide up their providers between, you know, maybe high, medium and low risk and then do slightly different things um, depending on where they fit. Yeah, so, so for a high risk one, one Paul, what would you suggest on, on that, just generally speaking? Well, maybe for high risk providers, you're, you're looking at uh, expanding on the things that Ross has talked about, you know, yes, yes, looking at the security assurances that already exist, but possibly commissioning a third party to go in and do a, a review on some specific areas. A lot of those security assurances will, will deal with the business as a whole. It won't necessarily deal with your administration system, you know, your office that you're in, the processes you have with, with your um, provider. Um, so, you know, for the most um, high-risk providers probably going further than that at the other extreme though for the low-risk providers it's probably just a, a fairly basic questionnaire every couple of years to make sure they're doing the basics okay thanks paul um so we've talked about what steps trustees can take to protect themselves against cyber risk however obviously no protection is 100 percent guaranteed um david in in the event of a cyber attack or security breach what immediate steps would trustees need to take? Sure, no, thanks, Kate. Um, well, hopefully they'll have kind of breach action plan ready in a drawer to pull out and, and walk through. Um, and the first step on that is going to be kind of assemble and mm. um, speak with your response team, whether that's internally or other trust, trustees, your administrator, your external advisors, via digital forensics, um, lawyers, uh, insurers, people you need to contact and let, um, let them know what's happening. Um, then there's a question about um communications uh to members um and to the regulators about what's going on how how has the incident occurred how are you fixing it are you undertaking analysis um if it's a malicious incident like a, a cyber hack or ransomware attack for example think about law enforcement and contact action fraud tell them what's going on um as i mentioned insurers but that's also quite important to make sure that um you're you tell them in advance to ensure that any cover is extended to cover this particular breach um, and then third party notifications. So to the extent that um, you're notified of a breach by a supplier, who else you need to tell in your ecosystem um, and things like your data flows, who, who needs to know that what's happening. But as, as I say, quite often in the heat of an incident, it's quite easy to forget about that checklist. So the first thing that trustees could do to make sure they're well prepared would be to make sure they have a kind of breach incident response plan that they can go through and tick off and it helps, um, helps focus your thoughts uh, when um, you experience a breach. 
That's great. Thanks, David. Um, so to finish with then, um, what are your key takeaways for trustees from, from what we've been discussing, Paul? I, I think my, my first one would be before you start diving into specific areas to do a sort of overall assessment of where are you right now so that you can make sure you're prioritizing your time. Um, what, one of the things we recommend to clients is a, is a cyber scorecard that we created last year, um, which is a free assessment of um, how a scheme currently compares um, to a sort of standard of where you might expect it to be, but also how to benchmark it against the market. Um, so that's freely available to anybody. You don't need to be an Aon client. Um, it's on aon.com slash cyberscorecard and hopefully you, you can put a link in the show notes where people can go and find that. So I'd start there, you know, understand where you are now, where your gaps are. Thanks, Paul. And I, I have to say I've used that cyber scorecard before and it's very, very good. Um, David, over to you. Key yeah, takeaway. Thank, thanks, Kay. Um, for me, as, as Paul's alluded to, it's about knowing where your gaps are and making sure that you have a breach action plan in place so you know what to do and who you're going to call and how you're going to address any issues that might come up in respect of data security. Thanks, David. And Ross? Yeah, so look, I'd absolutely, absolutely echo what, what Paul and David have said around, you know, knowing the scope of the, the challenge that you've got uh, and having that response plan in play. I think the other thing I would add would be, you know, around reaching out to your sponsoring organisation and, and their security team. I think having... Um, come from a career in security and the retail banking asset management world, I was honestly quite surprised as I started working with um, trustee groups that actually there's a real variation in, in terms of the level of support that sponsoring organisations give. And I, and I often don't think that's because the security teams don't want to um, support them. I think it's often just because actually no one's reached out and no one's made that connection. Um, at the very least, you know, there's a massive shared um, reputational risk around, uh, you know, if, if a scheme had a security breach. So it's absolutely in the interest of, you know, the sponsoring team to, to support the, the trustee group through that. Um, but also there's quite often shared infrastructure involved. So, you know, so it is, it is within everyone's um, benefit, I think, to work together on it. Um, Recognising that security teams are, you know, are often stretched, but they, they do want to do the right thing and, and want to help. So, you know, I definitely encourage trustee groups to make that connection internally and, and reach out to them the sponsoring organisation. But yeah, beyond that, I think ultimately the key takeaway for me and what I tell all trustee groups is, is treat cyber and information security risk as you would treat any other operational risk. Um, have, a, have a risk appetite, have a set of controls that allow you to meet that and have an assurance regime, both internally and externally, that allows you to understand where you are against that risk appetite and, and that will certainly stand you in good stead. Completely agree, yeah, thank, thank you, Ross. Um, so, so that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, huge thanks to Paul, David and Ross for a great discussion, which has definitely given us trustees a lot of useful tips and points to consider. And um, for those listening, see you again soon. Thank you.